Welcome to Altus Insights podcast series with Ray and Marlin, hosted by me, Avi. This podcast will cover monthly market updates and construction cost impacts across major markets in Canada. Hi, thank you for joining our monthly Altus Insights um, podcast. Marlon, today, unfortunately, can't um, join this, this session. Uh, this session, we're going to talk about 2022 in review and what we sort of anticipate for 2023. And 2022 was sort of a turbulent, um, not turbulent, but interesting year with, um, we were still seeing a 9% increase of investment activity over 2021. Um, from um, uh, 55.8 billion last year to about 60.8 billion, but activity is, is definitely tapering off. The office vacancy rates continue to climb with slow return to the office. Industrial multifamily residential continues to experience very low uh, vacancy rates and continue to increase in rents. And of course, retail continues to uh, evolve. Uh, to join me in, in uh, today's discussion, I have two very esteemed and well-respected um, guests combined, I guess, with the three of us. The scary part is over 60 years of experience. Uh, sad. Um, and we have uh, Wendy Waters, who's Vice President of Research Services and Strategy at GWL um, Realty Advisors, and as well as uh, Phil Stone, Principal Head of Canadian Research at Bental Green Oak. So I'll let you, give you guys each a, a few minutes before we get into the questions um, to talk a little bit about yourself and a bit of an introduction as well as a little bit something about your company. Wendy, you want to start? Uh, sure. So yeah, so I've been at uh, GWL for 16 years, uh, leading the research group and with, uh, with various titles within that. Uh, my background, I was Prior to this, I was at Avis & Young uh, leading research there. And uh, prior to that, I was actually in the dot-com. And uh, then before that, I did a PhD in economic history, specializing in 20th century uh, economic growth and development. So it's a reasonably good background for, for what I'm doing now, which is you know understanding what drives real estate performance. It's a lot. It comes back to the economy, demography. It's all about how people uh, experience life, use real estate as part of that. Um, GWL Realty Advisors, for those of you who don't know, uh, we manage the real estate assets of institutions and pensions. We have approximately $17 billion under management in Canada, another $1.2 billion in the United States. Uh, so this is office, industrial, retail, and multifamily residential. We do development, we do property management, asset management, portfolio management, so fully vertically integrated. Um, I think that's... Uh, primarily about it, unless uh, you have any further questions, Ray. No. Uh, Phil? Great. Thanks, Ray. Uh, thanks for having me on the podcast. This will be a fun discussion. Um, I, yeah, as Ray mentioned, I'm uh, principal and head of Canadian research at uh, Bentel Green Oak. Uh, so Bentel Green Oak is a, a global uh, real estate investment manager um, uh, deploying uh, strategies across the risk spectrum in both the debt and the equity side of the business. Um, we are now a little uh, over 80 billion uh, US dollars in assets under management. 
Um, and I've been in this role for about uh, five or six years now, coming on six. I've been at uh, Bentall Green Oak and uh, previously Sun Life now, who owns a uh, majority share of Bentall Green Oak for about 10 years now. Um, I come at it from a little bit of a, a different uh, perspective, uh, research that is, in that I've been, uh, I would say, more of a real, real estate practitioner in my prior roles across uh, various investment management roles. Um, through both some uh, private organizations and uh, publicly traded uh, a REIT as well prior to, to joining Sunline. So that's a little bit about me and uh, looking forward to the ensuing discussion. Great. Uh, I'm hoping for a little bit of debate discussion. So but we're gonna start off with the capital markets and we're gonna talk about, so we're gonna intertwine the market fundamentals as we go through it. But um, we're seeing investment activity starting to come down a little bit. Can we can we go through the um, some of your perspectives of what do you think um, is 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 happening with the market right now? Why are we seeing this 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 bit of a, a, a slowdown? And and what are your thoughts with um, interest rates or inflation? So we'll throw it open from there. Um, did uh, Wendy, you want to start with your perspective on the capital markets? Well, I think our our perspective right now, yeah, it's it's slowing down. There's a lot of price discovery going on. So there's you know the bid ask spread is is is, is wide in some cases. Uh, so it's figuring out what what the right return on the cash flow should be. That in most of the real estate asset classes, we're going to talk about office in a minute. That might be the the, the slight outlier. The market fundamentals are still really strong, especially industrial and multifamily, but we also do grocery anchored retail. That is a strong asset class. And so the rent, the rent, the NOI is still is holding up, and in fact, in many cases growing. So the question is what you know, are investors prepared to pay for that income stream? And there's that, that's the price discovery on the cap rates that, uh, um, that, that we're noticing. And it's probably, you know, as long as there's a lot of some volatility and in interest rates and inflation, uh, you know, it's, it's going to take a little while for that to sort itself out. Yeah, yep. I, I, no, 100%. I mean, it, it's really been a uh, cost of funds uh, question combined with uncertainty. So those two factors, I think investors... Um, are on pause for the moment. And I think until there's further clarity on both inflation, which is going to lead where interest rates go, um, you know, I think it's it's going to be pretty tepid for the next, uh, you know, call it uh, six six to nine months. Uh, I won't get into too many specifics on time frame because again, there's, there's a, a lot of uncertainty out there, both from an economic perspective um, and an interest rate perspective. I, I think it's, it, you know, this this past year is really a tale of, of two markets. Ray, you mentioned those uh, transaction volumes off the top. I think, yeah, we're gonna be, we're gonna end up 2022, we'll go down probably as the second largest uh, year in terms of transaction volume on record, but it's really been basically since the second half of the year, transaction activity has really ground to a halt. Um, and that's really across all buyer profiles. Um, institutional investors really hung, hamstrung by the denominator effect as you've had both bond and equity prices really come off. I mean, this will, uh, you know, when you look at a 60-40 portfolio, this is on pace now for the second worst performing year in the last hundred years. And so, you know, real estate's actually been a pretty good place to be. Um, when you look at the performance of, of real estate, if you look at the MSCI index and how well it's performed to date, but 
of course, real estate is lagging, right? And so uh, you get the combination of that price discovery plus, plus um, appraisal valuation lag to a certain extent. Um, and we're going to start to see that repricing continue into next year. And I think we have to kind of go through that. And I think it's, you know, to Wendy's point, operating fundamentals have been exceptionally strong. Um, you know, again, we'll talk about it, but for some of the secular changes in office and retail, but all else, uh, things are in pretty good shape. Um, and so it's really a repricing exercise based on, on cost of funds. Yeah, the, the earlier comment that we're only up 9% and compared to a year ago, and 2021 is an anomaly because it's sort of like one half years of investment activity in one just because of a lot of the deals that were pushed off in 2020. And uh, to a certain extent, the first quarter of 2022 was reflective of of that, um, that overlap of 2021 activity that, that bled into um, this year. And up until mid-year, we're up 45% compared to a year ago. We're definitely starting to see some of the, 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 the deals and some of the complexities just to get some of these deals over the, the finish line. Now, with, with the interest rates, and I think we all sort of predicted that um, we're going to see an increase in interest rates this year. And with um, inflation being that, um, that, that, that sort of obstacle or that, that goal to, 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 to bring in line to, to a certain extent. Now, has any of those sort of factors and what's happening with the market fundamentals adjusted or impacted um, any of your recommendations to the with respect to where the market's going? So be, looking at the beginning of the year to where we're at now, have you changed your thoughts about um, where the market is uh, is moving towards? It, because market fundamentals are so strong in certain asset uh, types, I would say um, not in an in a big way. Obviously, we're always taking a look at what the structural any if there's any structural changes happening. What are the cyclical um, factors affecting our real estate markets? And certainly, we've hit into some cyclical changes with higher interest rates. Uh, you know, higher, higher inflation, uh, and we're you know figuring out what is structural and what is cyclical from that, uh, and then there'll be some some rec- maybe some recommendations on that. But uh, oh, generally, I would I would say that it doesn't affect that. It affects maybe ability to execute, or it affects timing as opposed to um, you know what our outlook is. Yeah, I would say, I mean, I don't think much has changed since the beginning. I think what I would say is I, I think you want to stick with the prop when you're looking at property sectors, you want to be in those sectors where you've got rent growth and OI growth to offset yeah, uh, those inflationary pressures. And I think it's been quite evident in some of the market activity that we've seen where, there, you know, those more inflation sensitive sectors are, are getting hit. But even in, let's say, for example, industrial, where pricing has been quite strong, rent growth has been quite strong, you know, we've seen some what limited transactions have transpired, there's a clear dichotomy between those with rent rolls, uh, a longer term weighted average lease term that are, call it, you know, five to 10 years that don't have significant annual inflation bumps where they're below inflation. We've seen more repricing on those assets than we have for shorter lease terms. The folks on my transactions team put together a fantastic slide just the other day, actually, looking at pricing for, uh, and they looked at 
more or less same as same stores you can get in this market where there is, is limited transactions. But when we look at pre-interest rate hike and post-interest rate hike, even for those high quality, you know, large box, big box distribution centers, you were in the low three cap rate uh, for some of those assets. We now see kind of trading in the mid fours. So some significant price correction, and that's largely vault driven. And so you've got to be able to get at an income stream that will provide you protection against uh, rising costs. Wendy, you you did an article with the National Post um, back in July, end of the office, not so fast, uh, GWL Realty Advisors. Um, So you're a strong proponent of um, where the office market, uh, office product is and how we interact with it. Do you care to sort of comment on some of the highlights with that article on your stance? Yeah, well, in in terms of office, you know, we see us in somewhat of just another cycle of, of office where, you know, typically a lot of new, constru- new construction happens towards the end of a growth cycle. And then when it opens, we tend to be in a bit of a downturn. And whatever causes the downturn is different every time. This time it was more of a virus and then some global geopolitical events, but it's the same effect. So there's a bit of a downturn, uh, but we still see office as having a, a, a strong future. Um, you know, employees are coming back. We're seeing back to three to three, four days a week, which means people need desks. They need space to work. We've seen tremendous growth in office oriented employment over the last five years and including right through the pandemic. And there's been a little bit of a pullback with the, with some of the tech companies more, more recently, but that it's not even taking them back in most cases to their 2019 employment levels. It's shedding some, some people added in anticipation of growth during the pandemic. So, so we're optimistic on office for you know the long-term future of office generally for these reasons that we have we have growth, we have a need for people to connect, to collaborate. Uh, there's a lot of companies now talking about how they feel productivity broadly defined has been impacted by people working remotely. It's not just about how many spreadsheets you fill out in a day, but it's how you get mentored or you provide mentoring formally and informally. It's those quick collisions where you learn something uh, in the hallway. It's the quick connections with your team to say, you know, hey, who's got this file or does anyone know where this is? Does anyone know the answer to this question? And, you know, if you had to do four Teams calls to find the answer to that, it would waste two hours of your day. And you can solve sometimes solve it in the office in five minutes. So, so we're optimistic on, on you know, office, uh, you know, medium term, longer term. We are in, you know, a part of a sort of a down part of the cycle in some of the markets, uh, you know, from mostly from new supply. Uh, but also companies experimenting with what the future office space they need is. Uh, you know, Toronto obviously is in a new supply cycle with a lot of companies looking at consolidating, changing up how they used office space pre-pandemic, and they're, you know, it's being implemented through and now as they're moving into new office space. Uh, and the bigger the company, the more consolidation potential there is. Smaller office markets, a little bit less because you still need your kitchen and your meeting rooms. And, you know, if you're only a one-floor tenant, if you... You know, if 10% of your workforce goes home or 20% goes home, you can't really, it's hard to shed 2,000 square feet. It's easy to shed 20,000 square feet. Um, so depending on the market, we're seeing a little bit more impacts in Toronto than, uh, than in Vancouver. Calgary pleasantly surprised that there's starting to be some, you know, modest uh, activity and absorption there. Um, and certainly not modest compared to what it's been, quite strong compared to what it's been. <laughs> but, uh, you know, modest maybe compared to, uh, to some longer term averages across the country. Bill? 
Yeah, no, I, I look, I think, you know, over the longer term, I think just given the nature of the investors, the developers here in the Canadian markets who are very prudent, I think we have some supply challenges in the near term. Certainly, I think, uh, you know, Vancouver and Toronto, most prominently in downtown markets. But I think over the longer term, things are going to be you know, just fine in office. But I think over the near to medium term, there's going to be some real challenges. You know, if you look at Canadian office markets in comparison to North American markets, uh, you know, Vancouver, Toronto, still some of the lowest vacancy rates in all of North America, despite the fact that they've increased and, you know, are continuing to rise. I think Vancouver's fared much better than Toronto has over you know, over the past year and a half or so. But I think there's going to be some some challenges. I think uh, it'll be interesting to see how many of the big tech layoffs are impacted, are impacting Canadian jobs. I think it's been difficult to kind of read through the headlines and sort through just how much. But, you know, we're getting from our, our tenant base, we're actually getting contrasting comments and actually some tech tenants actually looking for more space despite some of these headwinds, which you would not think would be the case at this moment in time, but it is. So it's not a, it's not a one size fits all. And certainly, you know, as Wendy mentioned, when it comes to occupiers and how they want to utilize their space, it's definitely not a one size fits all. And it, it varies even within a firm and departments. You know, there was some encouraging news article last week from the federal government, nothing concrete yet, but it sounds like they're about to make an announcement on Treasury Board coming out with a uh, some guidance. Uh, we'll see how prescriptive it is on federal employees getting back to the office, you know, whether they'll specify how many days that is, what days potentially, but I think there's been a bit of a shift there in sentiment. And, you know, for a lot of the reasons Wendy mentioned, there's benefits to being back in the office. But yeah, I think, you know, that sector, just from a pricing perspective, I think has been mispriced for a long time, particularly with respect to the, the CapEx that's required to actually position a building and maintain its competitiveness over time. And so I think, you know, both equity participants, but importantly, on the debt side of things, lenders are really looking at how they're underwriting office going forward. And I think that's going to have an impact on both the liquidity of assets and the pricing ultimately over the next couple of years. Phil, what do you mean by misprice? Is that too high or too low? Too high. I think. I think a lot of again, and it's it's a f- large function of cheap capital. But I think the operating and capital requirements that need to go into a building to to make it competitive against a growing new supply of product. I think was, I guess, under underwritten <laughs> in the in the buying process and in valuations. I don't think there was enough capital carried. Uh, and so therefore, I think those values, uh, you know, may have, and this is a market phenomenon. This isn't specific to any one country, even for example. But uh, so I think there, there is some repricing to happening to happen in office. And we've seen it already. I mean, you can see it in the public markets in both Canada and the US, obviously a little bit more leveraged than say the institutional market. When you look at the price declines that we've seen in office and say, for example, the, the if you look at the MSCI property index as a proxy for private market assets, values are maybe off 10 to 12%, but kind of slowly trickling down. And I expect that they'll come off a little bit further in 2023 as well. Yeah, the, there's been a lot of research on whether office uh, has been, you know, to Phil's point, sort of under underwritten or maybe slightly, you know, uh, overpriced compared to what the CapEx is going to be required. And this was being talked about before the pandemic. So it's something, another one of these situations where the pandemic put a magnifying glass on a trend that was already there or an issue that was already there. And, you know, the other thing I was going to say is, is I think we've got 
some office buildings, well amenitized, generally newer, but they could be a very nicely refurbished uh, older product, have been doing well. And where, you know, the employees are back, I think Gensler had some data last week uh, or two weeks ago at the real estate forum that something like in some of the buildings there actively involved with 90% are back in well amenitized office and maybe only 10 to 15% back in some of the older product. So that tells you where the demand is. And so that repricing may be less of an impact on the well amenitized buildings and, and maybe, you know, it's more on um, some of the buildings that, uh, that are a little bit more challenged in that way in terms of attracting tenants. Yeah, yeah, I was going to sure. ask you the, that question with regards to with ESG, and we have to talk about ESGs. Do you think that's going to add um, uh, more to this? And, and as well as the medis themselves, the argument is that it's a little bit more targeted, especially with um, with um, sort of the younger workforce that are looking for that interaction, looking for that great coffee shop. Do you think that, that sort of plays into possibly higher rents? But on the ESG component, do you think that's going to contribute to sort of more costly um, changes with some of the sort of particular older product? Well, I think we've got, you know, everyone's got both climate resilience and a push towards carbon neutrality that we have to manage over, well, let's say the next decade plus or, you know, next few years as, as you plan capital on building. So it, um, it, it does play in. There's probably, there, so far, I think we're not getting that many tenants that are coming right out and saying, you know, or a growing number saying we have to be in a green building, but it's definitely out there as a key consideration. Uh, or maybe they need, want to be in a green building, but it doesn't need to be in that zero building. I guess I should, I should rephrase that. Uh, but it's definitely, I think it's coming. You know, you think some of our major tenants, these tech companies have made net zero pledges. Uh, so I suspect we're, we're, you know, I do anticipate that we are going to see that. And that is going to ha- that is just part of the capital plans that our teams work on for any building includes climate and carbon considerations uh, going forward. Yeah, for sure. And no, I think I think that flight to quality story is just going to become more and more pronounced. And it's both an occupier and an investor flight to quality. And, you know, we've we've seen it today. We've looked like when you look at in absorption data and you um, stratify it by year of construction. And we've looked at it even breaking up the last decade from 2015 onward. Um, you know, it's it's positive by a, a lot in that in that 2015 in, in newer category and it's negative absorption for basically all else. And so, yeah, I think that's probably gonna continue for, for some time. What do you guys consider as a sort of a well um amenitized building what what do you think are the the basic needs to to meet the 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 uh, that would attract certain companies well it, I, I mean i would look to uh, cbre had a good occupier survey out um i think it was mid call it mid year but uh, i think among the few things that they noted as, as top of the list were like shared meeting spaces, flexible open space, uh, flexible office space. So thinking about, you know, co-working and, and that as a, an amenity within your building uh, to a certain extent, I think uh, connected tech and, um, and building apps, um, you know, touchless technology, things like that, but also just you know, again, with the the pandemic really shone a light on uh, indoor air quality, for example. Um, but it's as much about in the building itself as it is the locational amenities and the surrounding retail and service amenities as well. 
Yeah, yeah, might add. Yeah, certainly, yeah, in, indoor air, but also light, amount of light. So some of the older buildings sometimes don't have as great a light. Uh, so employees really wanting and that access to daylight that was a trend before the pandemic. So there tends to be fewer perimeter offices by the window and more access to that natural light for, for everyone. Uh, outdoor space is definitely a key one for any new, new construction tends to have some outdoor spaces for the tenants to use. Uh, dog and pet friendly is, is another one that's, uh, that's relatively new, uh, but it's, you know, you get tenants that say that's, that's a requirement to come into the building. So, uh, Vancouver Center 2, which is our new office building in Vancouver, is pet friendly. Uh, the anchor tenant, that was a condition and, uh, and we were quite happy to, to give that a try. So, um, and we, we think we've tried it in, in some other buildings, uh, as well, more on the multi-res side, but, you know, we have some experience, uh, with that. Um, the other one is uh, fitness and end of trip are the other big ones that a lot of tenants are asking for across the country. So end of trip for people who want to cycle commute or jog or, or whatever. Also for people who might want to go for a run at lunchtime, that's very popular. Uh, places, safe places to park bikes uh, is, is big. And then, of course, a, a fitness center that's a, you know, a nice, high quality fitness center. It's no longer that dark, dingy room in, you know, off the parking garage or in the basement. Uh, it's the, the trend is now, you know, brighter above ground uh, and a much higher quality fitness center. Wendy, for your for, for your building, is there a maximum number of dogs or cats you can have within the, the, the space or is it unlimited? Uh, good question. I do not know the answer to that. Some of that may be from the tenants themselves as to figuring out how many dogs they want in their spaces. Uh, but yeah, there are some rules around that, but also the tenants tend to make their own rules in terms of behavior, how many, and so forth. Yeah. Ray Alton is now pet friendly, aren't they? Well, well it's, uh, we're, I, that's why another reason why I was asking, because I think we were, we were restricted, um, but okay. um, the, um, they, were, uh, they, they did allow us for the one day of unlimited dogs. So we very much appreciate it that one day, and we're hoping to squeeze a few more days going forward. I was going to say, is there an app you have to log your dog into <laughs> to reserve a space? We no, haven't gone giving, down that path. You're giving Wendy yet, some ideas, <laughs> and uh, she, she's going to uh, put in some recommendations here. So I'm a little bit afraid at this point. I love having yeah. our dog. Thank you for joining us for part one of our 2022 CRE Market in Review mini-series. In our next episode, we'll continue the conversation Wendy and Phil by reviewing Canada's industrial and multi-residential market.